Welcome everyone to part two of today's Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for tuning in today. As always, if you're watching on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel. If you're listening in podcast form, rate, review, subscribe wherever you can. Coming up on the show today, we are looking at early Grey Cup storylines, and that's all about fantasy football with a little bit of hockey thoughts at the end, but not NHL. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um... As always, follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary, uh, at yahoo.com. Calm. Part one of the show, we looked at the East and West Division final in the CFL. We looked at uh, what happened in the NFL, a diary entry on the Calgary Flames um, and their game against the Ottawa Senators with some UFC thoughts and a today's ticket thrown in there as well. Um, coming up on this one, we're going to look at Great Cup storylines, fantasy football waiver wire, the stupid good fantasy football team of the week, and I'm going to close with a couple of things I noticed at the Rocky Mountain Classic. Not like scouting report or anything, uh, just a couple bigger picture hockey things that I noticed. So, should be a lot of fun. I hope it is. Let's get to the Grey Cup graphic. All right, it is Grey Cup week now, um, and as we get ready for another installment of the Great Canadian Game, just a, a few storylines that I'm, I'm watching for at the, the start of this one. First is on the Winnipeg side, as they have a chance to really cement themselves as a dynasty. Uh, they, they kind of already have, um, with the, the, the fourth trip in a row to the Grey Cup. Um, and when you're looking at, like, dynasties in the, the CFL, it it's already getting up there. You, you have to finish it, though, right? Because that, that's going to be why, um, like, post-Montreal, uh, that, that run where, like, it, it's interesting they're back, um, which I, I think makes it a real nice story for this because you, you have, like, since that Montreal run where they were getting to the Grey Cup all the time, right? Like, um, three straight years, they lose to Calgary in 08, beat, Saska beat Saskatchewan in 9 and 10. Um, like, Anthony Calvillo is just always there and always around it. Um... Post that, you have, like, it, BC looks like they might be it, they're not it. Um, what it, it really should be Calgary. And probably, like, that run from 2011 up to 2000, what would that be, 19? Um, that run there is really, like, dominated by Calgary, but they don't finish as much as they should. They, they don't finish the job, and so because of that, it's kind of just like, it, it's not really viewed as this dynastic type of a thing. Um, now Winnipeg has a chance to put their stamp on this like early 2020s into, you know, no one's going to want to hear this, into the mid 2020s with, um, with this being the, the, with this being like the, the Bombers era. But you need a win in this to, to do that. Just getting to four great cups, as, as ridiculous as that seems, but just getting to four great cups in a row doesn't make you remembered in that way. Winning three of four would make you remembered in that way. And it's so interesting that it goes up against a, a Montreal team that was kind of, with all due respect to what the Stampeders did here, but the, the last real, I think, kind of dominant dynasty in this way in the Canadian Football League. Because with the Stamps, you always had the question, the question of, yeah, but... Can they do it in the Grey Cup? Or can they even do it in the West Final sometimes? You had that uh, with a, a couple of losses there. Um, th this, th this team doesn't have that. Th this team has a, oh, damn, they lost 
feel to them. And it, it's going to be interesting now what this means for O'Shea and Caleros. Like, Zach Caleros, this would be three Grey Cup titles for him. Um, O'Shea won as a player, and now winning as a, a coach in just a, a dominant run for this club. Like, for, for Caleros, it's kind of right around where people thought he was supposed to be. Not the path people thought he was going to take to get there. Um, it was more a hike than an escalator. But he, he got there. Um, and... It, it's been, like, I'm so happy for him because of all the injury issues that, that he had to deal with. But, um, like, we're, we're looking at one of the, the better coach-quarterback duos of all time if this ends up actually going through. On the Montreal side, it's back to prominence. Um, it's probably not when people thought it would be because of um, how good Toronto was this season and Montreal not beating anyone over 500 until sun, uh, Saturday. But... It's back to, like, back to prominence for a team. When they said, man, first time to the Grey Cup in 13 years, that was just kind of a, oh, man. Like, you just, th that that dominant run for Montreal doesn't feel like it was that that long ago. Um, but they, it, it's been a little bit, basically like Hamilton. And, like, and there's been, it's bounced around out east, but it's kind of felt like Hamilton's east for a while. Um, now Toronto has absolutely stolen that show. Um, but for, for this Montreal team now, it's Moss and Fajardo are going to get a lot of the headlines, but it's the defense that has this team back in prominence. This isn't Anthony Calvillo dominating things. Um, that this is, this is a, a dominant defense that has them back in this spot. One of the things that is going to be talked about this week is, or that has already been brought up, especially to me, is the dynamic that these are the last two Saskatchewan Rough Rider quarterbacks. Um... Caleros sent out, Fajardo comes in, now Fajardo is out, and uh, Trevor Harris, I guess, is the guy, but it's question mark, question mark, question mark. And so at a time where Saskatchewan feels like they are spiraling, it, it does feel like extra salt in the wound that it's the last two Saskatchewan quarterbacks going head to head. I will say, and you guys know, I will be hard on Saskatchewan. Um, go back and look at the end of the, the season, um, at the, the teardown I did of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um... I don't think, like, it's, it's funny, haha. Ha, yeah, Saskatchewan fucked up. I don't think that's what happened here. Um, Zach Caleros was so injured. Like, this whole thing, talent-wise, you 100% could see it coming, right? Like, there was, there was always a world where Zach Caleros was going to be the most talented quarterback in the Canadian Football League. Health was the only thing, and he wasn't healthy with Saskatchewan. Like, it just, it, it, at that point, they had put a lot into him, but it was time to figure out what to do after because it just wasn't going to happen with this guy and he kept getting injured. And then he goes off to Winnipeg and has one of the, the great runs a CFL quarterback has ever had who then didn't just immediately jump to the National Football League. Um, and for Fajardo, like he was fine with the Riders, but no one was clamoring for him to come back, right? Like at the end of last season where they missed the playoffs, it was all pretty, like it wasn't, oh my God, Saskatchewan let Fajardo go? you kind of knew that was going to happen. Um, now, it didn't go great, obviously, for Saskatchewan here, year one, for Jardo going to the Grey Cup with the guy who you let go as your offensive coordinator. Um, but I, I don't think, like, it's it's a lot of hindsight to say that Saskatchewan screwed this up. I... I was at a point where I was done with Fajardo in Saskatchewan. Like, it just, it wasn't happening for him. Now, he, it did seem like he was banged up at the, the tail end of last season. And so maybe this is just, again, giving up on an injured quarterback. And now you can see what he can do when he's healthy. But, um, a couple of things. A, again, this team won like four or five games last year. Like, they went on an absolutely absurd losing streak. And Fajardo was there for most of that. 
B, Montreal's not in the Grey Cup because of Cody Fajardo. Now, he didn't keep them from getting there. But again, this defense is the one that stepped up in this postseason so far. Um, and so I, I think while Saskatchewan can be mocked for a number of things, letting these quarterbacks go, it sucks. But it was just the circumstances around it at the time. And then overall, big picture in the league, I think the league is in a good spot. Um, attendance is up in a lot of key markets, down in a couple. But overall, it feels like attendance is up. Um, overall, interest in the product, I don't think is all that up, like from a, a national standpoint. Um, I'm trying to make the, the Grey Cup like a big focal point of the week. But I don't know if a lot of other places are necessarily. Um, but overall, like I, I think... I think Saskatchewan, or sorry, I think the league is in a good spot right now. Not a great spot. Good, fine. Definitely room for improvement. The, the debacle with the stats this year is amateur shit. I had an easier time finding stats for a fucking U15 hockey tournament than I did for um, CFL things this year. Like, just uh, absolutely atrocious. A failure on all accounts. Um, aside from that, it does feel like the league is in a decent spot going forward. Growth is needed, improvement is needed, but we're not closing up shop tomorrow, is, is what I'm getting at, basically. So, those are just some early Grey Cup storylines to look at. Now, let's get into some fantasy football. It is uh, another week in the books, getting ready for week 11 in the NFL. Uh, fantasy football time, uh, let's take a look at the fantasy football waiver wire. Quarterback, not a lot of options out there, I'll be honest. Um, it seems like a lot of the the options have kind of been picked through as we get ready for, like, as we get through bye weeks and stuff like that, which are only a couple of weeks away from being done. So, um, aside from going Bryce Young against Dallas because he's available, I'm going to stretch it a little bit. Matthew Stafford, uh, he's available in 41% of leagues. They're playing Seattle this week. This defense is good, not great. And I think a week off for this Rams to, to kind of recalibrate the offense is really good for them. Uh, a week for Stafford to get healthy is really good. And let's see now if he can get that um, that, that groove going again for an offense that looked pretty good to start the year. At running back, Ty Chandler um, gets into the end zone this week. We, we were hyping him up big last week as the guy that you should go pick up. Um, you should go pick him up again. He's only 9% owned. I quite frankly think he might be the best running back in Minnesota. We'll see if they start to recognize that more and more as the weeks go on. The other one is uh, Rico Dowdle. Um, what we were concerned about with Tony Pollard has kind of come true, where he's probably not an every down back. He's had some major issues uh, around the goal line, and Dowdle kind of feels, feels like that guy. And this Dallas team is going to put up points on a weekly basis. And so I think that Dowdle is certainly going to get his opportunities. He's not a must start every week, but he should be much higher owned than 4%. At wide receiver, Michael Wilson, he had a really good touchdown with uh, Kyler this week where he just fought his way in there. I think he's going to benefit from this offense improving. So I like Michael Wilson at 12% at owned. Um, Quinton Johnson at 29% owned. Like that Col or, uh, Chargers offense finally showed what you kind of thought it could be. And I, I think we're going to get some improvements from this offense as the season goes along. And so because of that, I think that this is a, a wide receiver who could get a bit more of a look. Um, and so I, I think at 29% owned, that should be up a little bit higher. At tight end, again, there's not a lot of great options. If you're desperate, Luke Musgrove um, at 24% owned. He gets into the end zone this week. I think he had a career high for receptions too, or receiving yards at 64. So he is someone who I, I think continues to get some looks in Green Bay every week, and that's all you can ask from the tight end spot. And at defense, uh, Washington taking on a putrid New York Giants defense, or uh, offense, sorry. Uh, they are 24% owned. Now it's time for the frustrating part of the week. 
because like we put in this work, right? We, we look at the waiver wire, we try to get all these sneaky ads. Sometimes it's the bad players who come up with big weeks. And so th this is in part to show how frustrating it is and in part to be like, you know what? There's some flukes to this, don't, don't beat yourself up. It's time for the stupid, good fantasy football team of the week. Um, the bad fantasy team that could have beat yours is another one, to, another way to, to phrase this one. Um, at quarterback, not a big week for the, the, the low-owned quarterbacks, but Zach Wilson, 7% owned, 14.92 fantasy points. Didn't look like it. One of the worst football games I've ever seen. Um, congratulations to the Jets for being involved in two of those. But I, um, he still put up some points. At, at running back, it is Rico Dowdle. 13.9%, the backup running back for the Cowboys, putting up a big day. Latavius Murray, 12% owned, 12.9 fantasy points. At wide receiver, Noah Brown, 24% owned for the Texans, 17.2 fantasy points. The top scorer um, amongst position players for the week. Um, at wide receiver, Jaden Brown, or sorry, Jaden Reed, he is 21% owned for the Packers, 14.4 fantasy points. Brock Wright of Detroit, 0% owned, 8.3 fantasy points. Every Sam Laporta owner in the world thought they had a touchdown when Wright got that one up the middle. Um, but apparently there's a player named Brock Wright who exists, who gets a touchdown. Um, at the flex, it's Michael Gallup, 15% owned, 13 fantasy points. Our defense, Indianapolis, 26% owned, 16 points. And our top scorer on the team of the week is fucking kicker. Prater, Matt Prater is still doing it in the league. 3% owned for Arizona, 18 fantasy points. This bad fantasy football team, this bad collection of talent, put up 128.6 fantasy points this week. Fantasy football game, thou art a heartless, heartless, heartless bitch. Now, uh, let's close with just a little bit of hockey talk here. Um, I, it happened over the weekend, um, so I'm not going to uh, focus too much on it. Jay Woodcroft being fired by Edmonton. Um, someone needed to be fired, but the the guy doing the firing was the one who should have been fired. Like, that's... There, I don't think there's any way around it. Um, this is a complete failure of roster construction by uh, Ken Holland, and he, he should not have a job um, amidst all of this. And the fact that he does is nothing short of stunning to me. Um, that Jay Woodcroft is the fall guy... And you go to a guy who coached McDavid in junior like a decade ago and who has been on no one's radar for a head coaching job is just such a desperation move. And it it feels like a real step back now for Edmonton. Jay Woodcroft is going to get a, another head coaching gig and is going to really show what he is able to do as a coach in this league. Because I, I think he is really good and I think he is a big reason why things turn around in Edmonton. Now... The failure on his part is that he implements a new defensive system that makes this team just completely fall apart, right? Like that's, that, that is on him and this organization for trying to match what Vegas did without the Vegas talent. Now, point to the guy upstairs, uh, Ken Holland in this case, not, you know, that one. Um, but point to Ken Holland as the reason why that this team didn't have the talent to be able to implement that. So yeah, a fall guy was needed. Ken Holland um, saves his job by firing a coach, but Ken Holland should be fired and probably will be if this season continues to go the way that it has because it's been a, an unmitigated disaster out in Edmonton. But um, this week, I was at the Rocky Mountain Classic out at Windsport. 
couple of things. One, Winsport is a world-class facility. Walking around there, I was just in awe of everything that was out there this week. Um, there's also a facility out in Cochrane. What they have out there, I forget what it's called, but I was there last week doing a Junior B game. Holy fuck, man. If you're in Cochrane and you have any athletic anything you want to do, there is a building for you and a spot for you out there. That was a great building. But a couple of things I noticed. So the the, the Rocky Mountain Classic is an under-15 tournament, uh, under-15 AAA tournament, put on by um, the Calgary Flames U15 team, program, whatever. Um, and so I'm not going to do a deep breakdown. Like, there were scouts there from every team across the Western League. I'm pretty sure I saw basically everyone represented at this thing. Um... I'm not going to, like, I was doing play-by-play. -play. I wasn't also taking notes on the edge work of a 14-year-old. So uh, I will leave that to the more qualified people. But just a couple bigger picture hockey things. One of the things that drove me crazy throughout the week was the amount of dump and chase that there was this week in times where there didn't need to be dump and chase. Like, guys had, guys had a step, and they just sent that puck in. Um, I understand, like, that has been the way of hockey for forever. But the, everything that you see in the NHL now is trending towards speed and skill. And I feel like we're trying to coach that out of people here in Canada. And I, I think not, I don't want to go on like a Don Cherry-esque rant about how the Europeans are passing us and all of this thing, this, that, and the other thing. But I do think when it comes to like high-end skill, um, and trying to like teach that and nurture it and foster it. I don't think we're doing a great job when you see like some really talented kids have to send the puck in and then go back out and try to dig it up. And then 15 minutes goes by and the puck hasn't moved off the wall yet. Um, I would, I would like to see more focus on the speed because there were some really talented hockey players at this thing. And um, I'm not saying that they're being held back by coaching or anything like that, but I, I do feel like we should be fostering more of a, talent environment here and let these kids try to make a move try to make a move on a defenseman going and score like you know go for it right why not um and you saw some of it but the, the amount of dump and chase drove me up the wall this week like learn how to beat a defenseman one-on-one -on -one. that that can be a skill that you learn as well and for a defenseman like you're, you're not helping them out like have a defenseman learn how to make a play one-on-one -on -one and stop that and send it back the other way like it's it, this isn't all just for development. Like, obviously, team travel from Anaheim. I think they'd like to win and not just, oh, well, good thing now that defense knows how to cover us. Um, so, like, there's obviously some, like, you want to win. But for development of these kids, I would really like to see a bit more focus on the speed and skill aspect of things. The other one that I noticed, um, basically every team's biggest best skater was a defenseman. And I don't know if I've seen that before. You know, and, like, I, I haven't been doing the... Th this kind of a circuit for as long as some others have, but just popping in um, and just in my experience with different things throughout the years, that felt like a real shift to me. And now a lot of those kids are still focusing on the offensive side. Um, like it didn't hinder them offensively at all, but it really did feel like basically all of the big fast kids were all on the blue line. At least each team had one that was bigger and faster than everybody and was on the blue line instead. Um, and so I thought that was a real interesting note when you see how things have gone in hockey with the, the, the McCars, the, um, the, the, the Heiskanen's, the Hughes, the, 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 those guys, even back to like Carlson, Latang, all of that stuff. Um, it's a new era, I think for defensemen in the, in the sport of hockey. And I think that's something that has been picked up on at least out here. Um, and at least at this tournament, cause there was so much skill 
on on those blue lines and a lot more than I, I was used to seeing or anticipating seeing. So just a couple kind of big picture hockey things to close out the show today. Uh, that is going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, rate, review, subscribe if you're listening in podcast form. If you're watching the show, it is, um, it's available in podcast form. If you're listening, it's available on YouTube. Um, if you're watching, like this video, subscribe to the channel. Trying to grow all this stuff. It really does help. Leave a comment. What did you like? What didn't you like? Let me know so I can fix it. Um, or disagree with you. One of the two. Find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at PrimetimeKline, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary, at yahoo.com. Uh, coming up on the show tomorrow. What am I doing on the show tomorrow? We're going to look at CFL Goats, so that's going to be a, a fun one. Um, and we're going to do another diary entry from the Calgary Flames game against Montreal tonight. So that's what's coming up. Thank you all so much. Check me out on Game Over on the SCPN YouTube channel. Uh, that is tonight after the Flames game at 5 against Montreal, and I'll talk to you all later. Have a good day, everybody. I'm out.